0: hey thank you for tuning in to the loser kid pinball podcast we are on episode 14 we're breaking our bi-weekly rule for someone special today i've got scott larson how's it going my man howdy ho and let me have you introduce our special guest today
1: well we decided to follow up our keith elwin interview with having someone who is equally talented and equally legendary uh, someone who is a tournament legend and also the director of every video you've ever watched on how to play pinball, Bo and
2: Karens. Hey, thanks. I've, I've definitely been called the Larry Bird to uh, Keith Owens, Michael Jordan, which means I'm almost as good. Uh, that's fine.
1: <laughs> Wait, but, okay, but I remember the old it was the uh, wasn't it magic versus bird back in the day? I think that was the original Apple II game. It was ma- it was the Magic versus Bird, and then they changed it because they apparently needed a, a black and white character for the advanced graphics back.
2: Then. It was uh, was actually, it was Doctor J versus Larry Bird in the original oh. version, wow. and uh, Doctor J could could break the backboard. It was it was great. Uh, it was way more fun to play than Bird, but yeah, Bird could rain threes, yeah. and then um, when they're like, hey, this guy's retired. Maybe we need somebody else. Sook and Dunk. Who we got. Uh, so Jordan it became Jordan versus Bird in the the later versions. Interesting that Bird just stuck around that long. He was kind of an old guy at that point.
1: Yeah, so. he was super. Well, when they had the Dream Team, he was basically laying on the side most of the time, icing his back because he could barely run. So, so that's me because I'm I'm Bird. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? I'm the twelfth man on the—I uh, uh, don't know—on Oklahoma right now, or I, I don't even know if I'm on the bench. I'm on the D League, so if you can actually be a star, then I think
2: you're—you're you're living the dream. <laughs> it's been—it's been really amazing to get to do all of these things based based on a game that I just love to play, and I'd be playing regardless of whether there were any kind of competitions. The, fact that i get to make these videos and that now i work part-time for spooky pinball as a director of rules and programming it's it's miraculous it's nothing i expected
1: i, I bet that uh, 20 years ago you probably wouldn't have imagined how
2: involved you would have been in pinball uh, well uh 20 years ago i was a world champion uh <laughs> no, uh, but you're absolutely right. I I did not expect it, and honestly, I didn't expect the way the industry was going 20 years ago. Right, uh, 1999 saw the end of Williams, and uh, Davey Stern was the only company really at that point. Um, it was it's it's pretty miraculous that they they kept the lights on for all of us, and we've seen this comeback now and. Yeah, sometimes Stern Stern gets maligned for releasing a game that looks the same as another game or doing things that are cost cutting, but they're the ones responsible for the fact that there even is an industry right now. Uh, that
1: actually gets into one question that I had was uh, I consider this kind of the second renaissance. The the basically past ACDC up until now, it's been an amazing growth of pinball and a resurgence of pinball that I would say rivals uh, something similar that happened in the 90s. Um, from my take, it seems that pinball is continuing to ascend, though. And in the 90s, it seemed like it whimpered out uh, with them just uh, selling off, you know, Cactus Canyon, all those just yeah. as a, at a fire sale when they were trying to get out of the industry. How do you view, view the difference between uh, the era now versus the, uh, the glory years of the 90s?
2: It's hard to really judge because we don't have sales numbers like we did in the 90s. But um, my sense overall of what, what Stern sells is that the the sales numbers are much lower overall now than they ever were in the 90s. Uh, consider that there were almost 4,000 Popeyes sold. And you say, okay, well, now a game is successful if it makes 2,000, 3,000... For Stern, sure. for every for other companies, it's it's lower than that. Uh, at at Spooky, we're running a full run of 500 Alice Coopers, and that's wonderful because it means that the people who work at Spooky can still stay fully employed and can move on and keep keep making games. Uh, but it's it's still nowhere near the production it was in the 90s, and even then, that production is nowhere near the production it was in the 1970s when games were just getting cranked out over and over again with 10,000 plus runs back to back to back it's kind of incredible if you look at the numbers of there's what 10,000 lost worlds that game sucks and uh, they still made a ton of them and and put them on location and it was it worked somehow
0: so what's crazy to me is just like like you're saying even in the 70s a lot of those games were kind of crap or it's the same theme just a different name as a two player or a four player Or, you know what I'm saying? And so it is crazy to see the numbers. Um, Being at Spooky, does it give you a different side or perspective being uh, working for a pinball company than it was before you started working for them?
2: I think I I definitely see how challenging it all is. Like uh, Charlie always says, pinball is hard, and you truly get to see the detail and how difficult it is to get something right and get something fun you have to make a lot of guesses and to say, well, I think this is fun. Let me build this and then we'll see if it actually is. And if it turns out you're wrong, you have to go back and try again, having wasted potentially a month of time trying to build something you think is fun and then it backfires. Uh, so having people on the spooky team who have all these different expertise expertises in uh, mechanical design and animation and rules uh, I think it's it's a tremendous team and we all kind of rely on our own instincts. And That's uh, that's something I didn't really think of or expect. I felt like there would be more playtesting and putting something on location, getting it back, find out how it is before you roll something out. But it's not like that. It's, uh, it's pretty much all internal thoughts and my own playtesting and a few other people. And then we kind of go like, we agree this is fun. Let's roll it out. And then it turns out thankfully with alice cooper we've been right and hopefully with the next game we'll be right again
1: I, I think it's it is different uh now versus in the in the 90s or basically pre-internet days that you could actually put something on location i i think if you put something on location now it would be on pin side in about three hours <laughs> um so i that would kind of steal the thunder um but i you've seen keith and you've known keith for years and you've seen keith uh take his job at Stern, and actually design a game himself, uh, including uh, the rules. You, you're heavily involved in the, the rules at Spooky. Have you ever considered taking that leap and trying to design a game?
2: Uh, it's not really on my radar, and there's a couple of reasons. One is that there's already a couple of really good designers at Spooky, and having seen the work that Scott Denisi puts in, to build the play field and we have a play field ready to go for the next game. Uh, it is intimidating. Like I can't, I can't figure out like, he's like, well, I moved this thing up an eighth of an inch this way. So this, this thing that's under the play field can fit in there. And this light wasn't very visible from the front. He's doing this all in the CAD design, uh, without actually having something physical in front of him, then making the play field, a CNC machine, then, uh, populating it, all of that stuff is is just so far against my own expertise. I have I have very little taste for it. Um, on the flip side, I have taste for rules, and I have taste for, like, hey, I like the thing that this game did when it did this. I guess if I were to design a playfield, it would probably be super derivative of uh, all these other games. <laughs> um, and on the one hand, like, you can look at what, what Keith has been doing and you can say that as well. Like you can look at some of the shots and go like, oh, there's the cool through the bumper shot from Roadshow and Congo and uh, the shadow loops. And you look at what uh, the design is on Jurassic and you can see some things that are borrowed from other games, including the original Jurassic. And But they're not borrowed in a way that makes you think, OK, this is bad. This is derivative. It's, it's like taking the more interesting things that happened and iterating on it. And truly, I think that's what pinball design is like, because it's not like you're going to design something and go like, oh, my God, I've never seen this before. Uh, but you can put some things together that, that uh, create cohesion. And um, Scott is an expert at that. Uh, I don't think I ever will be. I actually
1: mentioned Scott and I told him this. It was just an interesting story that uh, when TNA came out, I downloaded the soundtrack and uh, I work at a hospital. So one day we were in surgery and I actually had the TNA soundtrack on and the, there was a neurosurgeon who was operating and he looks up and he says, what are we listening to? I like it. And I said, well, it's a pinball soundtrack. And he said, Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then he went back to surgery. I don't think in a million years he would have anticipated that would have been my answer.
2: Yeah. And um, Scott has, it's a a real taste for, so many different aspects of pinball it's amazing uh, he just kind of knows everything and he knows fun i think that the fact that he'd worked on the earth aftershock as well as the bride bride pinball 2.0 a little and he just had his had his toes dipped in all these different projects and it gives you a feel of what it takes to make a cohesive whole like that's that's one of the things that if you look at tna that's that's to me why it's why it's very successful, that everything that happens in that game, the music, the lights, the, the action of the play, everything, all serves one purpose. It's, it's super cohesive, and maybe that's because it's the it's his vision. Uh, but I also think that's one thing that Spooky does as a, as a design team really well, and you can see it in Alice Cooper and basically every Spooky game, that uh, a small team working together can make a cohesive story make a cohesive uh art and uh, sound and rules package it uh it works i think that the the size of spooky can work to its advantage in that sense where a larger team at stern they're gonna they have to crank out games so much faster than anyone else does that uh it it makes it difficult to make the game as cohesive
0: Going back to what you're kind of talking about, knowing that layouts and stuff have been around for such a long time um, and kind of me building something that's more derivative just because you've been around that for so long. Do you think that the industry's in a at a point where, I mean, pinball's been around since the 1930s. We're coming up on 90 years of pinball. Do you think that it's all been done and so it's hard to do anything new or do you think there's still room to reinvent the wheel so to well, speak
2: Well, so that. many I mean, even since if you look at the the new things have, the new things that have come along in pinball, those two things are the dot matrix display in 1990 and the LCD display in either 1999 or 2013 or so whatever depending on the, if you count pinball 2000. Uh, none of those are really innovations that had to do with the gameplay. And I don't know that there's a lot that you could improve on the change in the gameplay of having a ball hit around with flippers. Um, Just about everything I could think of has been done some in some game. Uh, And so it's a matter of then hooking all those things together. Like it's kind of cool. I see on the Jurassic uh, artwork, it's what's been provided. So what's been visible so far is there are shots that divert to other shots. And kind of a lot of different ways the ball can go. Um, I think that's something that on Alice Cooper's does well, too, is it has this, these five different entrances to the subway. So you'll, you'll hit a ball into something, you're not quite sure where it's going to come out, and then it comes out, and you're like, oh, damn, it's over there now. Uh, those, those things are fun, and they can bring in a new player or a casual player and make them want to dig into a game more deeply. But uh, I do see, like, some games seem to have more innovation than others, and that's okay. Uh, And the innovative games might not be the best-playing games. Like, the the games from American Pinball have had a ton of playfield innovations. All sorts of uh, wackadoodle, like, ball fires into a a box thing or whatever it was on Houdini and the, the ramps and the feeds on Oktoberfest. Um, but it's hard because it doesn't necessarily translate into the most fun machine to play. Uh, and that, that balance is impossible to strike. You basically have to just go with what you think is right and hope it works. So you mentioned finding that,
1: um, I guess, I don't know a better way to describe it. That thing that, that whatever it is that fires off the dopamine in your brain to, to say, Ooh, this is a lot of fun. So you've been doing this for years.
2: What keeps pinball interesting for you? It's that thing. Wait, (laughs) wait, no, no. It really varies a lot. I think that uh, one of the things that that has kept me, uh, kept me going for so long is that there's skill, still many skill moves to learn. And uh, I don't have mastery of some of those skills like the tap pass and the, uh, the stage flip, for example, this last uh, IFPA championship there was a match with uh, um, Johannes from Germany
1: Mm -hmm.
2: and he's like able to just hold down the upper flipper on Iron Maiden and fire through loops like it's not even there even when there's a ball cradled on the other flipper he's got the flipper button held in halfway and just leaves it there and then is able to flip the upper flipper when he wants to while still holding a ball and the uh, – I don't know how he does that. I mean, I know how he does that. I just don't know how he does that. Right. Uh, and uh, the fact that players can do that and consistently tap pass and consistently uh, do these these uh, crazy skill moves that I just – I mean, I know what they are, but I don't feel like confident doing them. And I don't know how he got there. Is he practicing a lot? Is he just naturally amazing? Is – is it uh, this particular machine? But all those things make me want to play more because they make me want to advance my own skills and try and, and attempt to compete with these folks. Um, and then so it was for me, for example, 10, 15 years ago with the older machines, with the Flash Gordon era, Paragon era machines. I used to just hate those games and um, felt there was a lot of luck involved. And it, it basically forced me to learn how to, how to nudge better. And in doing so, I became a better player on modern machines. And the fact that there are so many machines and such variety to them, that is fantastic. It keeps me going. And you always see, year over year, you see machines you've never seen before that are super old. I got to play a game uh, recently called uh, Four Seasons. It's an old, old Gottlieb. And in the middle of the playfield, it had these two arrows and you could whack the ball with the arrows, and change how much things were worth. So the one, the arrow on the left was like one, two, three, four, five, and the arrow on the right was times one, times ten, times hundred. And so if you could, if you could line up your shots and and make them, and these were weird shots, you could make everything worth five hundred points a shot, hmm. or you could make them worth one point a shot. <laughs> And um, I had never seen that before. Never seen that kind of device on a game, and it makes me wonder. Like, okay, this 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 has to show up in some other pinball machine someday. It's too cool. The fact that those things exist and that you can still discover them is uh, kind of one of the things. It'll, it'll keep drawing me back. I, I got I got another thirty or forty years in this, I think, or at least until I get bad enough with my reflexes that I'm sick of playing because I'm too terrible at it.
1: Could you imagine Side growing, uh, blowing up over a five hundred times multiplier? I mean, they lost their mind over the forty times <laughs> multiplier.
2: Why? Why is this a problem? Five hundred x multiplier? I think games should have a thousand x multiplier. Be <laughs> that, very simple. That would not be an exploit in terms of settings. So, what do we want then? A a point zero point one percent multiplier? We'll make it divide by a thousand. Actually, do you know what I would like? I would
1: like the ability to attack my opponent's score. So if I do something, then it multiplies the score by 0.75, and so it actually shaves points off them.
2: That's what I want. Oh, the point-shaving incidents, uh (laughs)
0: uh-oh. Has there ever been a pinball machine where it shaved off points? I mean, it doesn't sound like, I don't know. It sounds like a terrible idea to me because... You start losing points.
2: It um, it t- has <laughs> happened. Um, it, it happened on Bugs Bunny's birthday ball. Um, and uh, there may be another game oh, yes. besides that, but it's generally a really bad idea. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean on Jersey Jack actually does allow you to uh, steal score from other players. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, unfortunately, like for tournament play, this is a really bad idea because it allows someone to play Kingmaker and say, well, I'm going to, I'm going to rob from player three, even though strategically I should rob from player one, player player one's my friend, and I'd rather rob from player three and help player one out. We, we don't really want that type of thing to happen because it can create uh, collusion conditions and situations that uh, don't bring out the best player as the winning competitor. Mm, that's a good point. But yeah. it doesn't mean you can't do it. You can totally do it in programming and you can build those build games that have that. You just have to have the ability to shut that off when it comes time for a competition. And that's one of the things that the Jersey Jack pirates does well. It allows you to decide how much of that plundering can or can't be done. Like plundering a ball from another player is possible. That That's crazy town to me. Like, um, but if you, it, it's a game about pirates, really. The pirates steal stuff.
1: <laughs> they steal booty, pirate booty.
0: So, in my in my personal experience, Bowen, um, you were one of the first pinball celebrities that ah! I found because when I got into the <laughs> hobby, I, I found these Papa videos, and they were fantastic. I I would, because I don't have very many pinball machines around me, and so when I went to a tournament. It would be fantastic to learn the machine, and I just go on and I would just type in, say it was uh, the shadow, which is one of my favorites because that point, that part where you're doing the, the oh, what's it called, the the inner loop, the inner sanctum loop or whatever it is, and the points are just, the points are going nuts, and you're like, this is absurd. I just, I love it. It's fantastic.
2: What's neat is like like that's that's the basis for Iron Maiden's loops being as valuable as they are. That if you can pull off that many loops in a row, you should get rewarded, big time, uh, and it's very satisfying. Um, yes. But yeah, that a couple of the videos, especially with games that play a little a little faster and they're more challenging, we try to film maybe two or three games and do different strategies on each game to try and uh, show like what is possible as as what is possible and what might be most most point efficient. But for longer games like Spider-Man or X-Men or something like that, it's all like, okay, let's see if we can get to wizard mode here. I remember spending eight hours playing X-Men, trying desperately to get to Danger Room, and I finally got there and it was over within 20 seconds. It was just, <laughs> I was like, screw it, I don't care. That is the That's the game. That's the one we're going with. There is, uh, and I'm not spending another eight hours trying to get back
1: there. Well, that, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good about uh, deciding to sell my X-Men now.
0: What convinced you, though, to start doing the Poppets tutorials? Like, was it just people kept asking you, like, how to play this game? And you're like, that's it? I'm making videos? Or
2: I have work in Pittsburgh every two months. I work for Pittsburgh Public Schools. I live near Boston. And so I would go to Pittsburgh every two months work a day for the schools. And then in the evening, I would just go over to Papa and play some games with friends. Um, and they had just gotten these cameras in. They'd used them for the Papa World Championship the year before. Papa 13 was the first one with top-down cameras. And I was like, well, what are we doing with these cameras? What could, what could we do with these cameras? Well, like, oh, I can talk over a game and just play it out and see how it goes. And so we made a few not really expecting very many people to watch them. We uh, weren't sure how to how to even show them. We used Vimeo, which was a service that allowed you to uh, decide whether you were vertically or horizontally oriented. So we could use vertical orientation on the videos. And lo and behold, they were they were all right. And every two months we come back and I come back and film another one, film two more, maybe depending on how quickly we could get them done. And uh, the library grew. And now it turned out that at, in 2017, um, I was no longer going to Pittsburgh for work. And I was like, well, I guess that's it. That's the end of the videos. Um, and someone asked me to, uh, set up a Patreon saying, well, you could make a little money on the Patreon and then eventually build up to have enough money to make trips. And it's been running strong now for two plus years. And we continue to make trips. We have a couple trips planned that I don't want to spoil, but they are uh, very special trips to places that uh, we are very happy about filming, but uh, we wouldn't have been able to do it without the support of the Patreon backers.
1: Well, the uh, I, the tutorials, they're a big hit, obviously. Uh, get a lot of uh, streaming on them. I, every time I'm thinking of getting a game, I always type in and say, I wonder how this looks when a really good player plays as opposed to me. Um, And when you are involved in in Papa, how involved are you in in game acquisition? Uh, Do do they ask you, do you choose the games? And if there are games out there that you would like to incorporate into the Papa library that just currently you don't have, uh, I guess that's a wandering question, but you can take any part you want.
2: Um, I'm not as involved in the day-to-day operation of Papa, which is now called the replay foundation than uh, people think because they see the videos or they see me at Pinburg and they think that I must be like really super involved. Um, it's much more on Mark Steinman and Doug Polka and Elizabeth Cromwell uh, and um, the, the technicians and other people who actually live in Pittsburgh who make those decisions. Uh, every so often They'll, they'll send me a list and an email. They'll be like, here are some games we could acquire. Do you have any feel for whether these are competitively viable? And so if Lost World shows up on that list, I'll say, no, do not get another Lost World. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I usually have some input about, like, oh, that game looks good, or that game is like this game, and that game is terrible. Or, and then they'll use that to, to make their choices. So uh, in particular... Uh, they've they've greatly increased the number of classic Stern machines they've had in the last few years. So games like uh, Quicksilver and Stargazer and Stars. I mean, they've had a Stars, but the, the that era of game is uh, rare to find, and they're all really terrific competitive games.
1: How do you keep them going? When I was when I was in uh, Denver, there was a Barracora. I, I was playing the classics and Barracora basically caught on fire uh they, they had to unplug it and so uh I mean, it, it basically we stopped it before but it started smoking and you could definitely smell it um and the reliability of these games that has to be a huge challenge to keep these games going especially w- when they're it's non-stop play for for four or five days how, how do you how do you maintain them
2: and keep them linear i guess so uh, there's, this is where the team, uh, the preparation, and the format of the event shine. So first it's the team. It's uh, Steve Eckert. It's Dan Hall. It's uh, Nick Chiquet. It's it's all these technicians who prep the games and are really attentive to the small issues that a game might have so that by the time it gets to Pinberg, it's in as good a condition as they can put it in. The preparation for the tournament in locally in Pittsburgh is to run little mini weeklies at Papa on a small set of games, and everyone who goes, they're called fight clubs. Uh, but I'm, I'm not allowed to talk. Nobody about talks that. about fight clubs. Uh, there, you have to. The players are responsible there for also making note of anything they see in that on those games that is out of out of whack. And then the technicians will go through it, and then that's it. They'll leave that game off to the side, ready to go to the convention center. And they, they will do that for all 388 machines that are being used in the tournament. And that doesn't mean there won't be problems on site, because games can still go down, games still catch on fire. Um, my favorite of all was uh, two years ago, we had, a, we had uh, some rain, and the rain leaked through the roof at the convention center. And it took down one of the pinball machines. And the reason this is hilarious is because it was Torpedo Alley. <laughs> so Torpedo Alley was underwater <laughs> and got taken out. <laughs> um, so the format allows us to pull a game or replace a game or make a game more difficult or easier at any time during the event because everything is match play. I don't have to compare someone's score on day one to someone else's score on day three. So that means if we look at a game and we realize, oh yeah, we forgot to take the inlane rubbers off this game. I'm thinking of you, World Poker Tour. Uh, then we can put those we can take those rubbers off once we realize it's too easy. Or we can pull a game entirely because it's just not reliable and bring in a different game to replace it. We have 10 backup games of each type, and those backup games can be brought into a bank or when something goes down mid-game, we say, all right, go over there. Uh, go over there, see Lewis. Lewis will set you up with a uh, with a backup game. And that format is, uh, I'm, I'm happy to have helped develop that format. And I think it's one of the reasons Pinberg has been so successful because it, it runs. It runs smoothly. It runs on time. And that matters way more in a tournament of this size than people tend to think.
0: Sorry, I got to reel it back just for two seconds because you guys have been talking about Fight Club, and Scott and I have been talking about that this week with all the leaks of Jurassic Park, and you, and he's like, first rule of Fight Club, you don't talk about Fight Club. I've thought about pinball. Fight Club is the perfect acknowledgement, acknowledge, whatever, for the hobby because in that movie, if everyone remembers, at one point in the movie, there was like a ton of people showing up to Fight Club, and... Brad Pitt uh, gets up there and he's like, you remember what the number one rule is? No one talks about fight club. Why is there so many people here? (laughs) And that's exactly how it is with the pinball hobby. They're like, here's the new Jurassic Park. Don't tell anyone. And then the one guy's like, all right, I won't tell anyone except for two close friends of mine that I know that I know they won't say anything. (laughs) And then those two friends say something. And before you know it, we've all seen the pictures.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so, like that, that, well, now being being in the industry, I, I see a whole different side of that um, because we're working on a game. And uh, frankly, we're not supposed to tell anybody what's in it. Uh, and it's been interesting because people constantly ask, like, so uh, this new Scott Denisi game, uh, how many bumpers is it going to have? How many ramps is it going to have? How many, I say ramps? <laughs> um, but. Uh, <laughs> Those are legitimate questions for people to be asking, but I, I can't tell anybody. If I tell anybody, I pretty much is, it's gone. Um, and yeah, it's interesting too, because there are people who I would love to talk about for brainstorming purposes who are interesting people and might have a lot to say about it. And what do you do? Do you bring them in with an NDA? Do you trust that they're not going to tell anybody? Do you just eat it? And, uh, do what you're going to do anyway? I, I don't really know. And um, as we start to continue to work on this game and other games, it would be nice to be able to talk talk about it with my friends and say, what do you think this should do in this multiball? Uh, it would be a better game for it. Uh, I can't do that.
1: So there are possible leak sources. We've actually been talking behind the scenes. Who do you think is leaking it? Do you like here's the here's my thought is there are certainly ways that people either distributors or people, you know, friends of designers or also uh, industries could be doing like kind of guerrilla marketing and actually do kind of a a leak to uh, to develop some buzz. Do you have any thoughts on any of that?
2: So by guerrilla marketing, you're saying there's a King Kong game coming? Yeah, exactly. Yes.
1: Yes. King Kong um, versus
2: Godzilla. It has to be both. Yes. Um, you heard but, it here uh, first. So one, one of the issues here with, with any kind, well, this is, this is also the issue between being licensed and unlicensed sure. that uh, if you are a licensed title, you have to work with the licensor in a way that uh, is mainly up to them. So suddenly they could just drop, I've noticed I, that's happened with at least one or two of the stern machines mm-hmm. where I, the licensor just kind of mentions, Oh, by the way, this is coming. Uh, or, or the, the example of, uh, of Ira, uh, announcing that the game is coming this fall. Uh, that I, I doubt that was approved by stern or they were, they would have done something different. Um, so the, at spooky, we haven't had to deal with a licensor, even when we had a license, uh, Alice Cooper was like the easiest licensor ever. He just basically was like, "Yeah, do what you want, man." <laughs> and, uh, um, strangely, not only that, he uh, he he now has built his tour around this, the way the pinball machine was designed. Uh, if you get a chance to see those pictures, it's it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I saw them; they were fantastic. Um, That's a guy who knows what to do. Well, coming coming back to it, it's it's a a difficult uh, thing to go. If you're asking like who's responsible for the current leaks, I, at least for Jurassic Park, it looked like it was coming from a webinar with uh, distributors. Um, the, sometimes these things are done on purpose to try and drive hype on a game. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't like any of it. I just like, look, let's just make a game and put it out there. and um, Maybe spooky flies under the radar on that stuff. And it's nice that we don't have to to deal with people chasing down the the names of the game or whatever or in scott's case he just goes to expo and tells everybody
1: (laughs) i i do i i i i miss the days when i would open it up and when i wasn't as involved as i am now when i would look at and say you know i wasn't even following the rumor mill and i'd say oh well they released that let's check it out and so mm-hmm. it, that seemed to be a, l- a lot more fun. Now uh, you have like these current lists of, hey, this is a rumored title, or this is a rumored title, or these things are going up. Part of me says, well, okay, I don't know what's coming out, but uh, it's probably one of these five. So I don't know. It, it seems to kind of take a little bit of the air out of the sale for me. I, I like being surprised.
2: I remember, I mean, when I was when I was first getting into pinball, or when I was playing a, a really large amount of pinball, even all of a sudden i just show up to the arcade and they'd, they'd be taking out the the roller games and wheeling in a Terminator 2. And I'm like, oh my god, it's Terminator 2! And you'd see them setting up the game, with the lights off, trying to figure out like what the rules would have to be. I remember looking at the right loop on that game and because it was labeled as Million Plus and thinking, oh, that has to be the jackpot because of what Whirlwind did and what Funhouse did and all these other games have been doing with Million Plus. And then you get to play it, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. There's a a gun and there's a super jackpot and there's all this. Oh my God. Like that is a really visceral experience of seeing a game for the first time. It's an experience that people who are brand new to pinball still get because they don't follow any of that stuff. Uh, They'll just show up in arcade. I'm like, oh my God, they made a game out of the monsters. Or they made a game out of twilight zone because they haven't seen pinball in 25 years. Uh, And that's a great experience. And I think that, that I agree with you there that that if I'm following the, the forums too closely or I'm just following what, what, what everyone's doing, that there's something lost there. And unfortunately I don't think there's a way to change that because it's just the nature of scoops and the internet.
0: Well, what's funny to me is like, I I didn't even follow the stuff on Tuesday. It's like, as soon as the floodgates open, all of a sudden it's, (laughs) it's flying everywhere. like, by, so it's Mountain Standard Time, 9 o'clock Mountain Standard Time. I've got emails. I've got text messages. I've got Facebook messages. And I'm like, well, Jurassic Park must have been leaked because why else would my phone be blowing up from all, all these people? You know what I'm saying? So it's it's crazy that like, even if you're just – I guess we are in the podcasting business – and so people want us to know i don't know it's just it's or maybe it's cuz we're all friends with each other and we're all like dude check this out we all need to talk about it right now <laughs> so it's just so weird like going from what it was 20 years ago to what it is today yeah i agree like, like all, you said
2: realistically all you had to do was follow keith elwin's facebook where he was constantly playing Jurassic Park with his dad.
1: Yeah. D- did you notice, by the way, that uh, the the picture that he had with his dad, and uh, I think that's his girlfriend, he was wearing a Padres t-shirt and she was wearing a Jurassic Park one.
2: Nice. So, yeah,
1: that, that, was, that was a brilliant move. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that the challenge with, uh, with controlling the message is I think everybody's so excited about it that they really just just like you said that when you're working on a game you want to talk to someone because you want to bounce ideas or you want to talk with someone who has that that same fire about pinball and because we are such a it's a big community but it's also an interconnected community just like Josh said when uh, when the pictures came out he was getting it from multiple different sources just like you said i i think the leaks are coming from multiple it's not just one one area it's so many different areas because people are excited about their product and i guess that's a that's a really good thing so it's a, it certainly gives us stuff to talk about between releases
2: <laughs> so very true but then you know i just i don't care as much for the speculation side of that when there's not something yeah. going on where you're like oh maybe they're working on this or maybe they're working on this I'm like oh jeez and people will ask me, like, so what do you know about who's working on this? Like, I I, I don't pay any attention to that. I've got my own chunk to think of and uh, my own, I guess, our own games to think of now, which is it's still very weird to work for a pinball company, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but, but before that, I wasn't paying attention to any of those rumors until, like, okay, pictures. And even when pictures come out, I want to play the game. I don't want to make a judgment about a machine until I can actually flip it and get a feel for the shots. And get an understanding of how the game plays. Uh, and I've, I've been burned on that a couple times, where I go like, "Oh yeah, this game looks this game looks amazing," or "This game looks like crap," and then you find out from actually playing it that oh, it's oh, this is what it is. Okay, uh, getting in there and playing the game matters so mm-hmm. much. And hopefully that hopefully that'll happen soon. Uh, a tendency for Stern, I think, is to get this information out there only weeks before the game ships. So I suspect we'll be seeing. Expect uh, to be seeing these games before the end of the month, before the end of August.
1: Yeah, I think it looks it looks great. It's a, it's a theme that I would be interested in. Uh, I remember seeing Jurassic Park the first time, and that was really the first time in my life that I looked at it and said, "Yeah, I could believe dinosaurs were real." In that, it, well, because it's the first time the computers <laughs> took it, I and mean, it was sad. So it was. Well, dinosaurs were real. Well, okay. You know what I mean. I, that, that Imagine how they would be in life. Um, and it, it was sad that they had to poison the, the uh, Triceratops so they could film that scene. But, uh, you know, it's <laughs> – no. But it, it's, it, it was so exciting to see that because that was really um, that touchstone when computers took everything to the next level and you said, wow – Computers can take us into a different world. Um, it, it, I, I yeah, I, I'm really excited to, to see how the theme is integrated and how the the game is played. Though it, it, with his first uh, first game with Iron Maiden, such a huge hit, uh, excited to see what the follow up is.
2: Yeah, I think he's just going to stick to the 25 year old licenses at this point. I think so.
1: Well it is the wheelhouse. it's the 40 to 50 year
2: old uh, people who grew <laughs> up in the 80s exactly right it's the, uh, it's the old white guy uh, yeah it, well
1: it, what it is is the game room effect because we don't have arcades anymore so we have to take the arcades and put them mm-hmm. in our house
2: now when you going, going back to what you said about the heyday of the industry and how even though things are going great right now they're not going like they were in the 90s that's the reason there just aren't as many places. To receive machines on location, and um, used to be in the '90s that, that people people in the industry to, wouldn't really necessarily care about home users. Home users were a secondary market mm-hmm. to the distributors and to the arcades. And now that's that's completely flipped.
1: Now, following up on that, is pinball relevant to uh, to anybody who's not in the hobby? I, I can't tell you how many times uh people talk about oh what's your hobby and i just say well i i play pinball and they say really do they still that that they say that every time do you still make pinball And it's like yeah actually they they're still making them and and it's still uh, you know still still going strong but certainly to the average person they don't even uh, know that pinball is still like, they they think all of the companies vanished so, it, like, what do you, what do you think? And is it possible to uh, to build that uh, that mass appeal that we once had, or are we so fragmented with smartphones and with the internet and everything that we all get into our own little silos and don't really pay attention to other things?
2: Hmm. I my opinion is that we didn't we haven't had that level of mass appeal since the 1970s. I don't think that even the, the the positive industry movement in the nineties was enough to register on the general population for pop culture. Uh, you would see kids go to arcades, but they wouldn't go to arcades thinking I'm going to play pinball. They'd think I'm going to arcades to play Mortal Kombat or NBA Jam or uh, that. Those games don't even match the same category as Adam's family. They sold Thousands and thousands and thousands of arcade units, and then the consoles started coming in. The consoles destroyed all the arcades. Um, So I think one says they still make those. Their their vision is that that pinball is what it was in the in the 1970s, of late model EMs and early model solid states, without voice, without uh, without uh, dot matrix or LCD without any of what we see today. So what would it take? I honestly have no idea. Um, it would be a huge change in the industry. I, I, I don't see how it would even be possible. I like the industry that we have. Um, and I like that we get to expose new people to pinball often. But um, I don't think it can ever come back to where it was in the 70s.
1: So my question is with uh, with the rise of the I, I would say the new arcade where uh, it would be the barcade so people aren't really exposed to pinball before they actually start uh, going to bars most arcades have really turned into kind of uh, ticket redemption centers oh, um, yeah <laughs> you, you go you go in there and it's kitty gambling everywhere yeah and you know in every single machine is a ratrells machine with a ticket dispenser <laughs> and i'm not sure I, I hey kudos to Josh Sharp for getting it getting it done but uh, it's it's not really the same because those machines don't require the maintenance that a pinball machine does and you have uh, such a niche uh, a niche group who want to actually put in the effort to maintain pinball machines to actually play them to have them on site so where is the next generation coming from? Because a lot of these kids, yes, it's kind of a, a hipster, cool thing to do now, uh, with the uh, rising barcades and certainly locations, uh, Pacific Northwest, uh, where where you are in the uh, Northwest or Northeast, excuse me. Um, I'm just wondering where that next generation is coming from.
2: Oh, I really wish I had a good answer for you. Um, there isn't there isn't a good answer other than the Children of the other people who already play pinball because, as you said, uh, many of the locations are 21 plus, and the ones that are full family tend to have only, say, one machine. Uh, We don't, we just don't see pinball machines in restaurants and 7 Elevens and just on the corner. Uh, you, You get these, you get mostly places that are catering to the the bar crowd who are going to try to get more people there on a Tuesday night than anyone else. Uh, and you also get the crowd of just people who super care about pinball and want to create an amazing location. And then they do that because they love it. Uh, and that's, that's amazing that those people exist and we need to salute them because they're the reason we're able to play pinball like we are. Uh, any of these places that you said that, that have had these increasing scene it's been individuals it's been small groups of people who have just dedicated themselves to acquiring games and putting them on location and uh, making that work somehow i think that one of the one of the ways we can potentially appeal appeal to more locations than the ones that have the the driving games is the resale value of these machines that uh, if i acquire a, a brand new monsters and then it turns out a month later that i'm sick of it I can still flip it for almost full value, where if I try to do that with one of those Roth rolls machines, I, I'm gonna have a really hard time finding a buyer at the at the original sale price. Whether that's enough to to want people to put more games on location, I, I have no idea. I doubt it.
1: I I also wonder if the if the manufacturers and anybody can take this and run. I'm not copywriting it. If they had uh, a papa, basically, what you're doing with gameplay, but they had a similar format to say, "Hey, these are like the top 10 or top 15 uh, things that you need to do to maintain." Kind of like a, I, I guess, a mechanics course on on pinball machines. I know that there are things out there. If you Google you, you know, if you YouTube it, you can find all different sorts of different things about well, this is how you do a flipper rebuild or this is how you do whatever. But if they had something that was more of an online resource from the company, I wonder if that would actually get people more involved when they don't have, you know, they're willing to get their feet wet into, Hey, I'm going to get under, I'm going to buy a machine. I'm going to be able to maintain it myself. Uh, I know that's one of the challenges with new people where they're like, I don't even know how to maintain this thing. And if, if you're telling me it, takes maintenance and breaks down. I don't even know if I want to go there.
2: Um, Even, even then you still have to get those people's interest in the first place where if they're like, yeah, let's go get that rough throws. Let's go get the drop zone. or Let's go get uh, these uh, kitty ice games where we do carnival stuff and um, have kids pay a dollar a throw for tickets. um, It's, it's hard to argue for pinball in that environment where, the amount of money being made by those machines is, is probably greater than the amount of money that would be made by by a by a good pinball machine in those same conditions. But um, it does happen. Like there's an arcade in Boston where they've had they started out with three pinball machines. They found, oh, these are the best earning games in the place. Let's make more. Let's let's have six pinball machines. Now they have eleven pinball machines. And they're starting to crowd out all the video games in that place. And for all I know, it'll be a, a pinball only place eventually but still has the same problem it's 21 plus i think another potential venue for drawing new players and this is a difficult one is the potential for the visibility of competitions and like the ifpa world champion is a teenager now the last winner of papa was a teenager there are ways in which people can go, can look at these and sure you can find them on youtube but we'd have to be talking about like a partnership with uh, a real TV network, ESPN or Fox or what, somebody like that, to air these tournaments the same way they air poker tournaments, and try to get some visibility for the game that way. the point where someone say, "I want a pinball machine. Where where is one?" And if you get enough drive from players to say, "Where's my pinball machine? Please get please make one. Bring one here." That that works. It really works. And then. Once a game, once people get to actually play pinball on location, they usually like it. They like it a lot. These people will say, oh, they even make pinball these days. Once you get them in front of a game, they love it and they want to play more. The
1: follow-up question I always get when someone comes over and sees my games is they immediately say, huh? And they play it for about five minutes and then they turn to me and say, Okay, so theoretically, how <laughs> much does one of these things? Yeah, theoretically, how much does one of these things cost? Because they're immediately thinking, "Wow, this is pretty fun. I wonder how I can get one in my basement." Yeah. So, you can hit a price point of 400
2: dollars per game, and everything will be fine.
1: Yeah, well, and that's actually where I I was defending uh, Stern's attempt at doing uh, the pin or you know the Star Wars pin because I thought. You know what? He, coming, people were saying it was a. It's not a big deal to go from from that to a pro, and I I counter in saying, well, when you look at it, and a pro is fifty five hundred, and this is four thousand, you are still looking at a pretty significant reduction in price if someone's trying to outfit a game room. And so, if they're if they're willing to say, well, I just want one that works in a home environment, maybe it's a Gateway pin. Maybe they'll be able to do something like that.
2: Yeah, I I have uh. My opinion on this is that the price is still way too high. Uh, that um, $4,000 is not something that, that people generally would look at for something that they're going to use as a consumer device. And unless they already like pinball, in which case then they, are, they would then look around and go like, well, for $4,000 I could get blah, 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 and mm-hmm. get a fully featured game with a theme I really enjoy. So it's either going if to it, – if it succeeds – I think it succeeds on its theme and its music and its sure. uh, and its feel. Um, I think that I think the rules on that game are solid. They're they're done by Duncan Brown, who's done uh, Beatles and a number of other games. He's been in the industry for two decades, so dismissing it as a bad game is is not true. It's it's not a it's it's a good game, but uh, it it doesn't it doesn't look like a good game on the surface to people with pinball experience. And then for people who don't have pinball experience, they look at it, they go, oh, this looks interesting. Wait, how much is it? $4,000? And that's it. They're done. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I, I really don't think that that's a price point people are going to go in for. They're going to go in for an air hockey table at $800 or a foosball table at $1,000 or a bubble hockey table. It's around the same. If a pinball machine were available at that price range, it could win but it's not going to win at $4,000 in those spaces, I think, but they're making a different, they have a different opinion on this and uh, you know, I hope they succeed because it means more people playing pinball and it means more people wanting to play the real, the, the full size versions of these games.
0: Well, I think that's another reason that some of the early Sterns and the eighties Ballys and whatnot have been doing so well. Not only have a lot of people hype them as of recently, but people see, at least in, where, here in Utah, it seems that if you hit that 800 to $2,000 range, pinball machines sell within 30 minutes. And so Ooh. I think people are out there wanting to buy pinball machines for the home. They really want one. They, they love the nostalgia. They love everything about it. They they want one in their corner of next to their air hockey table or their pool table, wherever it is. And so they're looking Ooh. for that lower end stuff. I think that's why it's so hard to find one. of other. that's, early that's games. the thing is
2: a, is a further strike against the pin from, from star Wars that someone, very few people just, just lay out $4,000 whenever they feel like it. And some of those people are going to lay out $5,500 whenever they feel like it instead. And the ones who are, aren't willing to pay that extra amount for the larger machine, they're probably going to look around and go like, well, f- instead of paying this for $4,000, what, what else could I get? And they might pick up a full size data East star Wars for for 3000 or a, uh, or a Paragon. I, hopefully um, I don't know. Data East star Wars is a pretty good gateway drug into other pinball. though. Yeah. Well, here's mm-hmm. my argument for anyone
0: that's trying to get into the hobby. This is what I tell a lot of people. When the, the inevitable question comes up, how much does this cost? I usually tell them, honestly, my whole collection's paid for itself. I've bought one, then I've sold it. And I I slowly grew my collection. I didn't go to what I have now just because I spent it all over one night. And so the wonderful part about pinball is if I buy a game that I don't like, nine times out of ten, I can usually sell it to someone else for either the money I bought it for or maybe take a $100, $200 hit. And so... If you buy one and you don't like it, don't worry because you can usually sell it. Especially depending on what range. A lot of people when they're first getting in, I tell them get in that fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred dollar range because if you don't like it, I guarantee someone's going to buy it off of you at that price and you won't have a problem selling it. And so when people start hearing that, when they start hearing, oh well, if I'm not stuck with it when and I don't like it, you know, if I don't like it, then I'm stuck with it. Yeah. Then uh, so it
2: it 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 shocked me. Low risk, shockingly low risk compared to other similar investments into electronics.
1: Well, uh, yes. but I, I also look at it compared to other things like people buy four wheelers, people buy boats, people buy <laughs> like all, all these things, especially out in Utah. I mean, the outdoor stuff is a big business and you buy a boat and you, you, you know, you drive it off a lot, so to speak, and it loses
2: $20,000 in price. Don't people recognize that the salt lake is really not a good place to drive a boat i mean what are they doing well actually salt lake is
1: more for sailing there is actually sailing out there but there are tons of reservoirs out here that's uh, so it is kind of a mecca if you like uh um water skiing so or wakeboarding or surfing or whatever the kids are doing nowadays
2: yeah i learned uh, just a few weeks ago that you don't need a license to drive a boat uh, even a motorboat in uh, utah it's pretty awesome yeah.
1: And awesome. And slightly sh- shocking when you see a 12 year old <laughs> driving their kid, their dad's hundred thousand dollar boat. Yep. 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 Yeah. Kids need supervision some kind of like one hour course. Or... Well, watch a YouTube thing. It's all on YouTube nowadays. What
0: okay. You so uh, my I, son's we,
1: eight and he drives the tractor. So uh, there we're all you go. good, right? <laughs> well, okay. But there's nothing to hit Invernal except for dinosaur bones. So no. Um, hey, we got two reservoirs
0: okay. around here. Okay. <laughs>
1: Well, there you go. Okay, we've kept you super late. I, I appreciate you for going away. I want to wrap up on one final question, or at least uh, final topic. Um, you're an elite player, one of the best around, and oh, the Super Bowl is coming up in two weeks uh, with Pinburg, and you can't play in it. Oh, yeah. the, ha- so I, do you feel that right now, right now pop is not running, uh, at least doing the other major tournament. And so do you feel a loss? Do you feel a a, a possibility of missing out that you can't actually compete with these elite players? I, I would imagine it being a, you know, you know, it, it'd be like Tom Brady on the sidelines saying I can still do this, but I'm <laughs> running the super bowl as opposed to playing in it.
2: Well, one of the things with Pinberg is that this is in some ways my baby that, uh, um, back when Papa first opened in 20, oh, 2006, 2007, 2009, whatever, um, I kept talking to them about running a match play tournament, that they have enough games and enough games of quality to run the best match play tournament ever. And finally in 2011, they agreed and they're like, all right, let's do it. And this is now year nine of Pinburg, And all nine years, I've been part of the team building the event. Setting up the format, running the event as one of the one of the assistant tournament directors. And there are so many other people involved now, like uh, Doug Polka, who runs who is the, the full tournament director, that I could step away and, and it would still be alright. It would still run itself. But um, I feel like it's important it's very important to me to see this event continue to grow and succeed and that it has the flavor it already has, which is to be fun for all the players, not just for the elite players. There are definitely a lot of events out there where elite players have the run of the house and they can they enjoy it, they can do whatever they want, and they, they're going to have a great time. And uh, Pinberg is not just for elite players. It's for all 1,000 players to have the same experience. And I'm really proud of that, and I think that it needs people like me to help run it. And I'm very proud to be part of the team. And I, I don't even think twice about not being able to compete because the, the I still get a huge amount of enjoyment from um, talking with friends and seeing people fly across the country and across the world to uh, be part of this. And it's, uh, it's something rare to be able to build build a thing of this this caliber and size It's a thousand people in a pinball tournament. What what is this? It's not supposed to be possible. Uh, And uh, the fact that we have a team that can do it is uh, amazing to me.
0: Well, awesome, Bowen. We thank you so much for coming on and coming to join us, little peons. Uh, I know that we've always appreciated having you out here in Utah uh, when you come out to hang out with us. Uh, Too too bad we didn't have you for this last Salt Lake Gaming Con, but uh, we've always had fun whenever you come out, so.
2: Yeah, congratulations on the growth. Of that. The growth, of the con there has been really cool to see.
0: Oh yeah. Um, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to contact you?
2: oh you can just find me on Facebook or um, on Twitter. It's pretty easy to find me just about everywhere. Uh, if you're coming to Pinburg, say hello. Like it's like a lot of people are like oh, I didn't want to. St- I didn't want to stop you. I didn't want. To- you seem important. Like I'm just. The- I'm just this guy. So. Um I hope nobody's intimidated by uh, me being whoever I am. I don't even understand that personally. It's just a thing that happened.
1: <laughs> well, we're, we're going to send you out a hat. We're going to send you out a hat to, as a thank you. And I hope you at least proudly wear it one of the days when you're uh, walking around Pinburg. Thanks. Free hat. Yay. <laughs> and. On that note,
0: too, um, we're not doing the hat giveaway on this episode. It will be the next episode that we do. So all those that still want to participate, the way that you do it is like our Facebook page and leave us a review either on Facebook or if you do it on another website, uh, please take a screenshot of it and send it to us because uh, we there's so many places to review us. It's hard to keep track of all of them. So.
1: Anyway, thanks again, Bowen. We really appreciate it. And staying up super late uh, on the East Coast for us.
2: Sure thing. It's a real good time talking with you. And uh, I'll catch up with you again soon.